Grab your Bibles. Acts chapter uh, 14. <laughs> Acts chapter 14. Starting at verse 8. Reading through 28. 923, if you get yourself a pew Bible. And before I read it, I want to pray. God, we know that these are the words of life. Lord, I pray that um, as even we read these words, as we meditate on these words, as I proclaim the gospel that is found in these, Lord, that you will quicken our minds, our hearts, that you'll change us, that you'll use us for your glory's sake. Lord, I pray that even through this time that I would diminish and that, Jesus, you would exponentially grow in our midst. So use this time, Lord, for the sake of your kingdom, Grow your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now at Lystra, there was a man who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul, Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand up, right, on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in Laconian, the, the gods had come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it. They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We, are also, we also are men of nature with you. And we bring you good news that sh you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went out. He went on with, with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them, 
in every church with prayer and with fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went to Antilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. When that day comes, when his face I at last shall see, just makes me think, when I finally see Jesus face to face, I have no idea if Jesus is going to be speaking in Aramaic, is he going to be speaking Hebrew, is he going to be speaking in uh, Greek? Will he speak English? I'm trusting and hoping it'll be English because I don't really, I'm not very proficient in the other. But the one thing that I am hoping, that if he is speaking in English, the one thing I'm hoping is that one of the first things that when I'm looking straight at his lips, when I'm looking at him, I pray and I trust that I will see a W being formed on his lips. And I'll see him say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the one thing that I trust. That I have given my life for the sake of the gospel. That I have pursued him and pursued a life that honors him, that glorifies him. And that when I stand before him, that he will say, well done. Well done, Father. Good and faithful servant. In 1 Corinthians, Apostle Paul wrote this. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Servants and stewards of God's mysteries. And moreover, it should be required that stewards, that they be found faithful. We who know Christ know how we should view ourselves. And we should view ourselves as first and foremost his servants. Those who have been saved by grace, by the blood of Christ. We know that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His blood covers our sins. And therefore, our standing before God is forever changed. We are no longer Citizens of earth, we are citizens of his kingdom, and therefore everything changes. We are now the servants of the Most High God. We are now his faithful servants. We have this gospel to be shared, and we are to be faithful with it. Faithful. Our text shows Barnabas and Paul with some amazing victories, and at the same time, some extremely difficult trials. And their experiences are recorded here 
not for travelogue purposes, but for the sake of our Point us on beyond our nice, normal, comfortable, North American, upper middle class kind of living and point us and encourage us to move on. This is what it looks like to faithfully follow after Jesus. So our theme this morning is this. We should learn from and imitate, yes, imitate Paul and Barnabas as faithful servants of Christ no matter what no matter what the cost. This week, I had an opportunity to listen to a, uh, a missionary from Dubai. And he told stories. And he encouraged us that when we share the gospel, that we are to encourage people to be bold. And not short sell or short speak the gospel. To say, listen, this is the reality. You heard last week that the gospel divides. So this week, I'm going to encourage you, encourage you on towards that next step to act boldly, knowing full well that God who is faithful will bring you on. He'll perfect your faith. He will protect you in ways that you cannot even imagine. And even if we are called to die because of our faith, life with him is better with him than without him. He shared the story. Max shared the story. As an elder in his church in Dubai, a young man came down. His name was Ahmed. And Ahmed believed in the gospel that morning. But he was scared. And Mac was scared for him too because he knew Ahmed was a Muslim. And by renouncing his faith and turning to Jesus Christ, he was now under Sharia law. And under Sharia law, that meant his death. Word got to Ahmed's father in Sudan. Ahmed got called from Sudan and obey his whole congregation. They have lived courageous, bold lives for the gospel. And this morning, we're going to look at Barnabas. Look at what does it mean to be faithful to faithful leader, a faithful follower of Christ, one who believes the gospel so passionately that they're willing to do whatever God calls them to do. This morning we're going to see that Paul and Barnabas got stoned, that there were some jealous Jews that followed them all the way from Antioch, made their way across uh, the island and followed them all the way where they, they were. And this group of Jews capitalized on an opportunity where Paul and Barnabas shared the gospel to some pagans. There was more than likely no synagogue there in that town. And Paul and Barnabas were sharing in the marketplace. And these people very quickly 
saw a miracle take place right before their very eyes, and they were blown away. They, they were just blown away. I can't believe it. We have known this man our entire life, and he got up, and he was healed. He has never been able to use his feet other than for dragging along the city streets, and now he is walking. These men must be See, what happened is their Rolodex of childhood stories started going around. And they remembered the poet Ovid, who told a story that had happened generations before. And Ovid said, listen, the gods, Zeus and Hermes, came down, and they wanted to experience among the people of Earth hospitality. And Zeus and Hermes, being gods, went to the wealthy people, people first. And hoping that somebody would open the door and share their life, share their home, give them a place to sleep, some good food, some good drink. But time after time after time, doors were shut, doors were shut, doors were shut. Finally, it was in the marsh. There was a poor couple opened their home, fed them, gave them drink, gave them a place to sleep. Because that, Zeus and Hermes blessed them with a home that had a golden roof. And all the other people who rejected the gods, their homes were devastated by it. So immediately, they saw this powerful message that Paul was sharing. And then on top of that, what happened? Someone was healed in their midst. And they're going, we are not going to screw this up. We are not going to screw this up. We want the gold roof. We don't want to be wiped out. So what do they do? They immediately ran to the city gate, found the priest of Zeus and said, listen, the gods are here. We need to offer sacrifices. We need to, we need to exalt them. And what did Paul and Barnabas do? At first, I think there was a look of confusion because they started sharing the gospel. They saw the excitement on their face and what happened? The crowd left, right? The crowd left and then they came back in full force oxen to be sacrificed, and a priest leading the way. Paul and Barnabas had no clue what was going on, but more than likely, Timothy was with them. And Timothy, who was from that area, said, hey, they think that you are gods. They think that you're gods. And immediately, Paul and Barnabas came into the crowds, tore their clothes as a sign of, of mourning and repentance and say, no, 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 we are just men. The first mark of a faithful follower, the first mark of, of a faithful leader is that they always point people to the living God. Always point people to the living God, not to themselves. That is the first thing. A faithful pastor, a faithful leader, a faithful Anyone is always pointing people away from themselves to God. The dangerous thing in our American culture is that we have kind of built up this culture around celebrity pastors. Pastors make millions. There's, there's some pastors who make millions of dollars off of the gospel. And it's all centered around them. Their church is all about them. They have websites named after them. Everything is about them. A faithful leader says, no, no, no. It is not about me. It is about Jesus Christ. 
And we see this. We see this, that they immediately point people away from them. That's their spontaneous response. And I don't know if it happened in, in Paul and Barnabas, but maybe there was something that kind of went, as they saw these sacrifices coming to them, maybe they thought, well, maybe it's, it's about time we get some respect. It's about, the, you know, it, it's due to us. We've been kind of pushed out of city to city. We've been traveling by foot. Maybe it's time we get some respect. And what will a little mistake like this hurt for a little while? Maybe we could use this. We could twist this to the gospel. And if that temptation even flitted in their mind, it's not even recorded, they immediately cut it off. The reality is, realize no matter what the circumstance is in your life and this right here i'm specifically talking about those who do not believe paul is addressing and barnabas is addressing a, a crowd of people who do not believe in jesus christ yet the amazing thing is is that through their words and through their actions they say don't look at me look at what god has done the question for you this morning is in your day-to-day conversations with people that you work with, people who do not believe the gospel, who have not had their hearts changed, do you say, listen, it's not about me. It's what God has done in me and through me. It's God who receives all the glory. It's not about me. I could not get out of this addiction. I could not get out of this circumstance. My mind could not change apart from God. It's impossible. It is absolutely impossible. So a leader, a faithful leader, one who loves God and is faithfully pursuing him, spontaneously points people to God. Spontaneously. Spontaneously. Second thing is, Faithful servant courageously keeps on proclaiming the gospel. Keeps on proclaiming the gospel in spite of persecution. Paul and Barnabas had been forced to flee Antioch and Iconium. But when they came to this region of Laconia, they continued to preach the gospel. You would think after door had been shut, a door had been shut, they had been traveling hundreds of miles by foot, they would just say, okay, we're done. We need a break. We've been forced out of this city. We've been forced out of that city. Now what? But they courageously kept on preaching the gospel. Even after getting stoned, what did Paul do? He got up. And he did what? He went back into the city. Either he's an idiot or he believes that God is greater than the stones that they hurl. He went back into the city. Defies common sense, right? You throw stones at me and leave me for dead, throw me on the trash heap. I got the message. I'm going to start walking. But Paul courageously got up, did not take a short respite, didn't take a vacation. 
he got up, walked to the next city, and preached the gospel there. Probably not enough time for the bruises on his face and body to be healed. He got up and walked on to the next city. And on the way back through Perga, Perga for some reason where they, they could not preach the gospel, they spoke the word. And when they got, when they got there, they, they, they shared the word even there. And unlike me, but much like Jesus, Paul remained resolute. Focused on his purpose. Focused on his call to share the gospel. Share the gospel. His steadfastness of character was upset neither by flattery that he received from the pagan people nor by the opposition. Just kept on going, proclaiming the gospel, city after city, circumstance after circumstance. Kept on doing their persistence in preaching the gospel in spite of intense opposition was nothing short of amazing. Max Stiles, this pastor in Dubai, said this. Most Christians in the world dread the raised fist. Most Americans fear the raised eyebrow. Isn't that true? We've got a world that is outside North America that is, they're literally, they, they convert to Christianity, they believe in the gospel, and their lives are at risk. And I can understand the raised fist because of that persecution. But here in America, where we live, we share the gospel, or we live a certain way, and what do people do? And immediately, what do we do? We cringe, we cower, and go, no, we don't want, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't dare enter into any kind of conversation where people's going to be challenged, where we might confront them with the gospel and say, this is who, what it means to live fully and richly in this world. We don't dare do that because we're scared of a raised eyebrow. Most of us, honestly, have never known any kind of real persecution that compares to what Barnabas and Paul went through. But the reality is you will catch criticism if you attempt to serve the Lord. Truly serve the Lord. The question is, how will you respond? How you will respond will test whether or not you're a faithful servant of Christ. you're prone to get hurt and quit, you need to learn the lesson of courageous persistence from these two servants of the Lord. Courageous persistence. Maybe just a quick show of hands. And this is a, an honesty call. How many of you would be willing to lose your job for sharing the gospel? Honestly. Two, three, four-ish? Well, you guys work in Christian organizations, you know, that doesn't really count. <laughs> I hope you would lose. Uh. The reality is, though, are we willing to be courageous in our jobs? To the point where we are willing to, you know what, this job, God will provide another one. Maybe our subsistence will be a little lower than what we had before, but for the sake of the gospel, I'm willing to share the gospel because 
People's souls are going to be lost for eternity. People's souls, and they matter. Maybe God is saying, listen, still in Kankakee and Bourbonnais, there are still souls. God is saying that there are still souls. Share the gospel, share the gospel. But God, listen, I've got a job. I've got to pay my mortgage. I've got to pay my rent. And he's going, are you serious? Is not the gospel far more important than your job? Don't worry about tomorrow. The birds of the air, they don't worry. Raise your faith. Share the gospel. Third thing is a faithful servant strengthens and encourages other disciples, especially, especially regarding the role of trials in the Christian life. The journey out of Derby was more evangelistic in nature. They were going to Derby and they were sharing the gospel for the first time. But the journey back through the same cities was more pastoral in focus. First time they were sharing the gospel, they were planting seeds. People's lives were getting changed. Guy got healed. Little churches started springing up all over the place. And Paul and Barnabas kept on going, but then they came back. Exactly the same way. Their, their time coming back was more pastoral, encouraging the disciples that were made in those cities. They came back wanting to say, okay, hey, you, you, we heard that you, you believed. Now I want to encourage you and build you up, especially, especially when it comes to the trials. They concentrated on strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue on in faith. And saying, you even see this here in verse 22. You see it there? It says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, what? That through many tribulations, we, we must enter the kingdom of God. They were honest. They were honest with the disciples and said, listen, here's the reality, boys. Here's the reality, ladies. You are going to go through trials. I need to be totally honest with you. You turn to Christ. You give him your life. The reality is, is that you are going to go through trials. And I want to prepare you for these trials. This is the reality of the Christian life. Because you are not of this world. You are in it, but not of it. You are no longer. Your DNA is not worldly. Your DNA is of a different kingdom. You've been transformed formed and transported from this kingdom to another kingdom. Now, the reality is the world is not going to like it, so I want to be honest with you. You will go through tribulation. You will, period, go through tribulation. But we live in an American culture that is a Christian culture, right? Hardly. And I'm going to be honest with you. As our time goes on through our lives and as we look at our children's lives, we must prepare them for trials and tribulations. As that day comes closer and closer that Jesus is coming, trials and tribulations are only, like birth pains, going to become more and more intense. 
What are we going to tell our children? Hey, Danny, you know, just become a Christian. It's going to be easy. No. We give them the reality that to enter into the kingdom of God, you must and you will go through tribulation. The reality is that Satan, Satan is pretty darn sharp. He, he, he is the supreme strategist when it comes to discouragement. Satan's one of his most effective tools that he uses to cripple new believers and old believers alike is to send pride. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, 8 through 10. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This isn't unique to you. It's common. It's common throughout the world. And then 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Paul gets to the doxology there. Listen, you are going to go through Hell, fire, brimstone, it's not just stubbing your toe. You are going to go through trials. And Satan's greatest tool is to discourage you. But the reality is, God be all the glory. He is going to be the one who will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. The fact that that Jesus is king doesn't mean that his people will be free from trials. Sometimes he even uses trials to afflict us, to teach us to put on the full armor of God. To quit resting on our arm of flesh. I can do this. I can do this. Jesus, God's saying, listen, I'm going to put you through this trial to teach you a lesson that you are not God. That you need to rest fully on me. Put on the full armor of God. And when you have it all on, stand. And stand firm. Through these trials, we learn to trust God more fully and not lean on ourselves. Trials strip us of worldly attitudes that have attached us, attached to us like barnacles on the hull of a ship. Whatever the lesson, no disciple will be exempt from the important for you to learn to submit to God's mighty hand in trials. It's, your call as a Christian is not to avoid trials. Because we all have that flight symptom, you know. Fight or flight, most of us would just fly, you know. It's like, oh, here comes a trial. Detour, try to get away from it. Some of it is we've, we've got to learn how to go right through the storm, trusting fully that God is in control. And this thing right in front of us, we need to know that God is going to establish us. He will make us stand firm in that day of trial. Do we believe it, though? Do we really believe it? 
And the question is, how do we do that? Well, I'm going to tell you, this past week, I was challenged when I was at Desiring God, the pastor's conference, challenged to just say, am I walking in the Spirit moment by moment? Do I have eyes that can see things that are otherworldly? Do I sense that what God is doing in my time? Because you know what? As trials come, I need to be able to see that God is in control here. And I need to hear the words of the Spirit speaking to me. Paul, be still. No, I am God. Be still, Paul. Relax. I am in control. Yes, be wise. Don't be an idiot. Paul, quit resting on your own strength. The other thing, another way that as we go through trials and tribulations and and different kinds of things in our life that are just difficult, we need to be grounded, rooted in God's word. The blood that runs through us needs to be biblical. Just Bible-filled, so that as trials come our way, what do we do? Words from Scripture sum up. Jesus, 40 days in in the desert, what did he do? As he he was going through the desert, he was going through a time of testing, Satan came to him and said, hey, Jesus, do this. Hey, Jesus, do this. Why don't you do this? How about you do this? And Jesus each time said, "Uh uh-uh. The Word says this. And so as trials came, Jesus refuted Satan with the word of God. If Jesus needs the word to refute Satan, so do you. Okay? So how when, when trials come, we need to have stored up scripture in our hearts and our minds to remember God's promises, saying, you know what? You say this, Satan, you're, you're whispering these little lies in my ears, but you know what? God says this. And you know what, Satan? The word of God is like a sharp, double-edged sword. Back off. And I'm going to tell you another thing is that you need, is that you need the church. As you go through trials and tribulations and pains and sorrows in your life, you need the church. You need a covenant community of brothers and sisters who love you, who are also rooted in God's word, who have been transformed by the gospel and have made a verbal commitment to one another saying, I am with you. I am with you. No matter what, I am with you. And then you need to willingly come alongside and let your pride God has brought together a body for a purpose. Much like your family. Two are better together. And maybe it's time that some of us, starting with even myself, start leaning on one another. Really leaning on one another. Because that's what the body is for. By yourself, You are just a flailing arm. You are not the complete body of Christ. Use the body. Another mark of a faithful servant, a faithful servant helps churches be organized 
under godly leadership. On their return journey, Paul and Barnabas, what did they do? They appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. Paul and Barnabas recognized the, the importance of having elders in the church to protect the church, to care for the church, to disciple the church, to lead the church, to be the encouragement for the church, to keep their, the church's eyes fixed on Christ. Paul and Barnabas said, listen, when we come back around, we've, we've led people to Christ, the, the Spirit has moved in their hearts, changed them, we need to go back and provide godly leadership within the church. We need to remember that the body is both organism and an organization. Both. It is a body. And a body, if you look at, I just remember some of my biology classes, you look underneath a microscope, highly organized. Okay? Highly organized. A church is not just this flim-flam group of people that come together and meet. It is organized as an organization, a group of people. And it's also an organism where it lives, it breathes, it changes. Organizations tend to be pretty static and, you know, don't move, don't change this. We're both organism that's changing and moving, yet while highly organized on purpose, under the leadership of Christ, who has appointed elders in each see here in verse 23, they appointed elders. Three terms are somewhat used interchangeably when it comes to these kind of leaders. You got elders that look at the spiritual maturity. And often an elder was referred to, the, the word comes from an older man, an older person in the body. Elder, elderly, elder. Spiritually speaking, sometimes there are younger people people in the church who are far more spiritually mature than older folks. I've been in churches where elders can only, you got to have gray hair or no hair to be an elder. And you look at them and go, seriously? There's spiritual leadership and there's spiritual maturity there? Question. You look at the heart of some young, young adult and you go, oh, that's where eldership should also, you get the word overseer is also another word that's kind of thrown into this mix. An overseer looks at the work itself, and elders are to have oversight of that work and oversight of the flock to make sure that people are growing in godliness and that the church is doctrinally found. An overseer, elder, has oversight of the church because here's the reality. In Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13 says, you know, submit to these leaders. Because they are going to have to give an account for the church. They have oversight of the church, and they have to answer for the church. Finally, the third term here is that the, the word pastor. And it looks at the job from the analogy of a shepherd devoting themselves to the ministry of the word, counseling and directing people. Paul appointed them. That's why, you know, as we look at elder development, we have Michael who's going through this process. 
You see, folks need to be praying for him. And I'm serious. He's downstairs, by the way, just so you know. He's kind of doing by Jen. <laughs> you need to be praying for Michael. That there is spiritual maturity, that he has the wisdom to know how to give oversight for the church, and also so that he knows how to counsel and guide and be firmly rooted in the word. Pray for him as he's going through this process. Pray for Nathan. Pray for myself. Pray for our families. It is critical for the health of the church. If Paul and Barnabas set up elders everywhere, it should be a mark for us to be doing the same. Number five, a, a, a faithful servant is accountable to those who sent them. Paul and Barnabas sailed back to Antioch, gathered the church that had sent them out, and reported all the things that God had done with them. They reported back and just said, look, look, this is what happened. This is absolutely amazing, and you need to be encouraged because God is up to something. How this church supported them, we don't know. We said that earlier. We don't know if they did it one time, love offering, or if there was ongoing support, or gave them we have no idea. Said so that you must be your own tent maker, but they were sent out from the church. And therefore, when they came back to the church, they report. There's accountability. And Paul and Barnabas thought it out. Good leadership seeks accountability. They want to know that their, their feet are held up to the fire. Are you being a good steward of the finances that have been given to you? Are you a great steward of the, the gospel that you are appointed to teach and proclaim? Are you, are you doing well with your family? And a pastor, elder, overseer desires accountability. Faithful servants welcome accountability because they know ultimately they will answer to the Lord who knows Everything they had done. Everything. Besides, it's great to know that Ascending Church is praying for you and your work. That's why John and Missy Camiola, we are not fully supporting them as, as the sole sending church. We're doing a good chunk of theirs. But you know what? When they come back, they report back. They share there's also the, this new thing called the internet where they share on their blog posts and their Facebook posts what they are doing. They are being accountable by reporting back. You can sign up for their prayer emails, another way that they are being accountable. And you can know that when I talk to John and when I talk to Missy, I say, how are you doing? How are you doing with the God? Faithful servant, number six, gives the glory to God for what he has done through them. This is closely connected to uh, the first one, but it's totally different. The first one is with unbelieving people, they deflect the glory onto God. Now, it is very similar, but they are now reporting to the church. They did not report on all the things that they had done 
and how they had this brilliant insight or, of taking the message to the, to the Gospels. Rather, they reported on all the things that God had done with them and how he has appointed, opened the door of faith. God opened the door of faith. Faithful servants make sure that all the credit goes to God. It's not about slick marketing or just a brilliant leader. It's about, again, giving God the glory, even in the God is stirring in these hearts. God is doing this. It's not by your evangelistic tools or your, your really nice hospitality. But God's up to something. He's opening up the door of faith. God is In some places, Paul and Barnabas had little to no response. Other places, huge crowds responded. No matter what the response, they were depending on the Lord. And when he gave them a harvest, they gave him the glory. Last one. This one speaks to my heart. A faithful servant knows when to recharge his battery. And I trust that I'm not reading too much into this. There's always a danger to read into the text, but I trust that I'm not doing that here. Luke notes that Paul and Barnabas stayed. They stayed with the church. They stayed in Antioch for some time. If you look at verse 28, it says, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Some of you may go, no little time, so does that mean even shorter? No, it means like they stayed there for an extended period of time. Some believe up to a year and a half that they stayed in Antioch before making their second missionary journey. Why? Were they kind of vacationing by the sea and staying in a villa? I, I, I really believe that Paul and Barnabas were doing preaching and teaching in the church in Antioch. But at the same time, they were refueling their batteries. We can be sure that they were actively serving. And after a time of worshiping and fellowshipping with, with old friends in Antioch, they were ready to get back into the action Confession. I work too hard. I'm a vocal coach. Anyone else? A workaholic? Paul and Barnabas knew that for them to be faithful in ministry, to be faithful with the gospel, to be used mightily, they had to have rest. They had to take a break. That doesn't mean disengage and not do anything for the sake of the gospel. That meant taking a different season. 
and breathing. Enjoying God's blessing. Doing something different. You can't give out more than you take in or you will run dry. That's the reality. I'm the type that keeps cranking and cranking and cranking and cranking and cranking and cranking and spiritually inside, I grow dry. Don't get me wrong, I'm in the word. But there needs to be seasons of soul Trusting that God, God's going to take care of it. He loves the church. He loves the gospel more than I do. I need to take adequate time to read, to think, to pray, to escape to a conference. I need those things. Or I'll begin to feel dry reality. Each of us are wired differently. Every pastor is wired differently. But you need to know yourself and watch out. And I need to watch out so that I don't burn out. For the two of you, you need to be intentional even in your scheduling. It may feel mechanical. But you need to schedule time each week. Maybe even each quarter. Maybe even each year for an extended time away to renew your body and your soul. Vacations are a gift from God. Usually. But they're gifts from God. So in conclusion, Andrew Murray uh, is a well-known devotional writer, and he had a brother who labored all his life in an African country with absolutely no visible signs, none. He didn't see any converts, but shortly after his brother's death, revival broke out there and many were converted. Irony, isn't it? He had broken the hard ground with Years and years of labor, but other people saw through. Being fruitful is being faithful, not necessarily being outwardly successful, is the important thing. Being faithful is the most important thing for a Christian life, not success. Being faithful, being obedient to the call that God has given to each. Paul and Barnabas were given this as examples for us to emulate. Paul even says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow my example. I pray that we may imitate them, emulate them, so that someday you, we, can hear Jesus' welcome. And see that W formed on his lips. Well done, good 